gathered around as Jesus' teaching quickly turns into a courtroom on today's Bible Study Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm so glad to be with you tonight as we continue to journey through the Gospel of John. As we begin tonight, I want you to know that I will be approaching our passage a little bit differently than we normally do, so I'd like to encourage you to go back and read John 8, verse 2 through verse 12. and Read it again on your own, and as always, I just want to encourage you to really take the time and study for yourself what the passage is says and and what we're talking about tonight. I'd also like to uh, let you know that if you have any prayer requests, any concerns, any questions, or any comments you would like to make, you can always feel free to email me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com. I always enjoy reading your emails, and many times they're what helped me to shape the podcast into the form that you receive it in. So please let me know what you think and what you liked and what you didn't like, and we'll work together to make this as good of a podcast as possible. I'd also like to encourage you to check out our website, www.biblestudypodcast.org, which is our you know, our ministry site to see some of the other teachers and some of the other lessons being taught through this ministry. There are some exciting studies going on, so I just want to let you know that uh, they're on the site and they're there for your benefit. And at the end of the podcast, there will be a word from the founder and you know, a fellow teacher in the ministry, Toby, on how you can help with the podcast. So be listening for that. And with all that being said, and you know, with apprehension as we look forward to hearing from God's Word, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the grace that was given to us through Jesus. We thank you that in everything we say, we are enriched through Him, and in all speech and in all knowledge, we grow closer to Him daily. And now, dear Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our minds, renew our spirits, and help us to see the wonderful Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, in all of his wonder and power. Help us to remember that he did indeed die so that we may be children of God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, today I want to take you through this passage, but I I want you to really feel the intensity, the really sense what's going on here and to feel what is taking place as we go through John 8, verses 2 through 12. And I want you to see the story of an adulterer, some executioners, and a just Savior. So with that in mind, let's begin at the beginning of this episode that is given to us in John's Gospel at chapter 8, verse 2. Now please remember that we've just seen the big showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees And we have just seen the closed-door sessions of the scribes and the Pharisees as they have debated with one of their own, Nicodemus, over who Jesus is and how they should handle him. And we closed out last week by saying that they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, his place of prayer, his place of rest. And I also want you to remember the setup that is going on now throughout Israel. Jesus is no longer an unknown, but instead he is the crowd favorite. As is his custom, he regularly is teaching the people. But now, rather than in the past where there may have just been a handful of people, he is frequently lecturing to hundreds of people and has become the subject of many groups' gossips. 
This, however, is not good news if you're a member of the Pharisees. You are the ones who are supposed to be the religious authority. You are the ones who have been trained for years and years. You are the one, so you think, that has sacrificed everything to do what God has commanded, to enforce the laws of Moses. You are both the judge and the jury. You stand in the place of God in judging the people, and you are proud to have that responsibility. But now this Jesus fellow has come along. Now he's kind of taken some of your people, kind of stolen some of your thunder, and now some of the people who used to come to you for answers are going to him. Surely he must not be of God. If he was, he'd be one of us. So we must do something. Well, if someone is very popular with the people, what's the best way to knock them down? Of course, find something they're doing wrong. Take him down a notch. Show the people that are following him that this guy is not for real. But then the Pharisees were presented with a problem. They didn't see Jesus doing anything wrong. He was above reproach. So what's the next move? If you can't see him doing something on his own, you've got to manufacture a situation in which he's doomed to fail. This is the mindset that we are seeing now and throughout the Gospel of John from the Pharisees. And this is the framework the Pharisees are starting from. And it's in this environment in which today's passage begins. So now, the day after the festival, Jesus comes early in the morning into the city, to the temple, and he sits down and begins to teach them. Now, as we kind of mentioned before in passing, we're not told what he taught, but could you just imagine the lesson that was learned by sitting at the feet of this master teacher? Imagine the breadth and the depth of the lesson that was given to the people. After all, these were the very words of God. And as he sat, taking the position of the authoritative teachers of Israel, the people still kind of mulling around the city came to him. And they heard this master thesis as it was delivered by our Lord Jesus. But this wonderful, beautiful lesson would not be fully delivered on this day. You see, as Jesus expounded on the scriptures and on the ways of God, he was interrupted by a ruckus. Imagine the shock in the crowd as the solemn teacher is interrupted by loud wailing and brash yelling coming from a distance. Imagine the chaos as this caravan of people makes its way through the city until it reaches the scene of Jesus' teaching. Imagine this group of men, Pharisees no less, dragging a woman into the midst of our Lord, setting her in the center of what is, has gone from a classroom to a courtroom. Imagine the shock in the crowd as the priest looks to Jesus and in a loud and excited voice says, This woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Imagine the shock. Imagine the horror as the crowd surrounded around Jesus look to her. This woman who is probably barely dressed, probably very dirty, who has now been thrust into the middle of them. I mean, remember, she is said to have been caught in the very act of adultery. She has most likely been dragged straight from the bed of this lustful crime of passion and lies here now before the crowd, thrown to the ground, scared for her life, visibly shaken over what has become of her. I want to ask you to put yourself in her place for a moment. You've done something horribly wrong, and you've gotten caught. Not only have you been caught in your adultery, but you've now been dragged through the city to the place you now sit 
in the midst of the great religious leaders and the one who has been called by the crowd as the master teacher of them all. As a good Jew, you know that your life could be demanded of you for this. You know that adultery is a capital offense, and the very ones who are your judge and jury are the ones who have brought you to this place. And of course, you're scared. In fact, you're horrified. You shiver in fear what is coming next. You know that there's nothing good that can come of this. And in your heart, you know that you have sinned greatly before God. And here you are, lying before this teacher. Have you been there before? Have you been in that place in your life where you know you're doing something wrong? You know it's not good. You know you shouldn't be doing it. And you've been caught. And you stand to be judged. It's a horrifying place to be. And after the shock has worn off for a second and the crowd has stops its shrieks of surprise and all the gasps of this dramatic display, the priest still stands and he proceeds to follow up his charge by reminding Jesus of something. As he stares in contempt at the woman and then glances to our Lord, he reminds the people that in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. But what do you say, Jesus? Imagine the shock. Imagine the the terror going through the crowd at this point as they're shocked over this priest challenging the great teacher, setting up a showdown right here in front of the group. Imagine the crowd looking back to Jesus, waiting for his response as he sits before them. Now the problem here is great indeed. As John mentions to us, the priests were saying this to test Jesus, hoping they would find something by which they could accuse him, showing that he indeed is not a true leader of God and the people should not follow his counsel. But how is this a test? You see, if Jesus, who has been preaching and teaching about the forgiveness of sins, says that they should not stone the woman, then the people will see this as Jesus being weak on the law. He would be called a false teacher, for he doesn't uphold the law of Moses. After all, he would be basically saying that the people should not follow the law to the fullest extent. And the Pharisees would definitely point out this inconsistency. If, on the other hand, though, he decides that the woman should be stoned, he'd be telling the people to put a woman to death, which is against the Roman law at the time. Only Rome had the ability to execute, so to advocate for execution could be construed as subordination to the Romans and would allow the Pharisees to turn him over to those rulers. So on the surface, it looks like either option is a bad one for Jesus. He seems to be in a bind. What will he do? But we don't see Jesus as being overly worried. In fact, as the priests stood to make their claim, Jesus stoops down into the dirt and begins to write with his finger. And I think this is such a beautiful picture that we're seeing here in John's Gospel. Think back to Exodus with me for a minute. Think back to when the law, the very law that's in question here, was given to Israel. As the Word of God taught the people and the law was handed to the people on two tablets of stone, and Exodus 31 says they were written by the very finger of God. And even as the law was being given to Moses, the high priest-to-be, Aaron, was debating with the people over whether they were following God correctly and had produced an idol for them. 
Now, take it back to this time. Imagine the scene as the literal Word of God. This Word made flesh is sitting here teaching the people. And as the priests argue over how to follow God and have gotten to the point of perverting the law to try to trap Jesus, he sits and he writes with his finger into the dirt, into the clay, into the shattered stone. Amazing. But of course, the Pharisees have come for a reason. And although Jesus is showing them his distaste for this type of action by not responding, and even acting as if he were not even listening to them, they, they push on until he answers. It is then that Jesus straightens up. He sits up, looks them in the eyes. Imagine the silence as Jesus, the master teacher, who was just challenged by the leading authorities of the day in a matter concerning the law, as he now sits tall, as he straightens up. Can you sense the crowd waiting in anticipation for what the teacher has to say? Surely they knew what was at stake. Would he side with the law or with the Romans? Had the Pharisees indeed trapped him? There was a problem, you see, with the Pharisees' argument. In Deuteronomy 22, the law that is being recited here by the scribes, it states that if a couple is caught in adultery, then both the man and the woman are to be taken outside the town and stoned. And in this case, if the woman was literally caught in the act of adultery, the man would have had to, by necessity, have also been there. So where is the man? You see, this is a trigger for us. This is how we know that the Pharisees are trying to pull something here. If the Pharisees were trying to do the right thing and they were trying to carry out the law for the sake of glorifying God, surely they would have brought both of them, as they would have both been there. But the Pharisees have set the woman up as a way to test Jesus makes complete sense why the man would not also take the fall. I think realizing this, Jesus stood up and he sits back and he tells the self-righteous Pharisees, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And with that, he sits back down goes back to stooping over, continues riding in the sand. Wow, though, what a bombshell to drop on them. Just as these leaders thought they had Jesus trapped in an apparent contradiction, he turned it back on them. You see, Jesus was not saying that only the sinless, only the perfect ones are the ones who could judge. He's not saying that no one should ever say that another person's in sin unless he's sinless. No, what he is telling these priests specifically is that whichever of them has no sin in the matter, they should throw the first stone. This is incredible. What he has basically done is to put the onus on the Pharisees in front of the people. Now think of yourself as these Pharisees. What can you do? If you continue to push for this woman to be stoned, you're essentially telling the crowd that you are sinless. And this is surely a reality that none of you could live with. Add to the fact that you would be the responsible party for the woman's death in the eyes of the Romans. And that's not good. <laughs> Romans do terrible things to people who don't listen to their laws. But if you don't have the woman stoned, you're essentially the one who's taken a weak view of the law. You've let off an adulterer. What can you do? Of course, they couldn't do anything. They're trapped in the very trap they set. 
It's like the man who sets up a mousetrap in his house only to get snapped by it when he reaches for the cheese. Now picture the Pharisees as Jesus remains stooped over in the sand, writing, as they stand here, shocked by the fact that they are now the guilty ones. They're the ones now on trial. Can you see the older members as they realize that this is not going to turn out like they hoped? Can you hear the groaning of the head priests as they realize they can't do anything with this situation? Can you see the young members looking around, confused, not sure how to handle the fact, embarrassed in front of the very crowd which they demanded respect from? And as you picture them, can you hear the sound of the stones? They drop, drop drop onto the ground as one by one the priests leave the area the crowd apparently following as the dust has now settled from the showdown that's just taken place and now as the woman alone stands before Jesus he sits up once more and looks her in the eye asking where are your accusers does no one condemn you of this crime Imagine this woman, undoubtedly wiping away the tears she had been crying, hearing the master before her ask if her accusers had left. Can you imagine both the fear and the relief that must have been going through her mind at this point? All those who dragged her into this have gone away. They stand here no more. But here, before her, sits none other than Jesus, the teacher of all teachers, the great master, the Messiah. What could she do? What could she say? How will he react to her? Will he show her mercy? Will he carry out judgment? There's no way she can know. And so probably with a trembling voice, she looks around. She responds, No one, Lord. And with that, the God of justice and the God of mercy in the flesh tells her, I don't condemn you either. Now go, and from now on, sin no more. See, Jesus did not excuse her sin. Jesus did not say it was okay that she had committed adultery. He never said she was innocent. He didn't downplay the sin. Well, what he said was that he would not condemn her, and now she must go, and in her going, sin no more. See, he was perfectly just and perfectly merciful. By the law, he was true. There were not two witnesses available. The law said there must be two witnesses. They were gone. He had followed the law. But in following the law, he had shown her mercy. She had lived and not died. The message that Jesus gave this woman is the same message that he gives us today. Just as Jesus took the punishment of the law away from her and covered her sins upon her repentance, her turning from her sins, he will do the same for us today. We're not innocent. We've all sinned. We've all acted against the nature of God, and that's sin. And as a result, God, who is a just God, he must carry out that punishment. And the punishment, as the Pharisees had accurately said, is death. But through Christ, we are no longer condemned. By his work on the cross, our Lord and Savior has paid the penalty of our sin, has paid for this death 
that must take place and has conquered death. And as a result, we're no longer condemned, but instead we're called to go out and to sin no more, to become children of God. Will we be perfect from here on out? Of course not. But as the Holy Spirit lives in us and guides us, we will become more and more like Christ until one day, one glorious day, when He returns, we will be with Him forevermore. Praise God for sending His Son that we may have life. Praise Jesus that He has pardoned us from our sins on account of His great sacrifice. Praise the Holy Spirit who urges us to follow Christ and then inhabits us so that we will become more like Him. Podcast has helped you today, and I hope it will be of great benefit. I, I know that we uh, typically just go verse by verse and don't really go like a story, but the impact was there, and, and I hope you can see there's something to this. It's not just academics. It's not just head knowledge, although head knowledge is involved. There's a heart to Christianity. There's hope. We can look at this and say, you know what? I'm right there with that woman. I've done horrible things. I've gotten away with some of them, but some of them I've got caught. But praise God, we have a Savior who chooses to show us mercy if we will trust in Him. Who chooses if we will repent of our sins, if we'll turn from our wicked ways, if we'll turn to Him, we'll accept His help to make us more like Him, take away the sin in our life. We have a Savior that if we'll do that, He will no longer condemn us. Friends, I hope this helps, and until next time, may God bless and keep you. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.